Welcome to the Presentation Boss Podcast. I'm Kate Norris. I'm Thomas Craft. And we're here to help you plan, design, and deliver your best presentation. It's episode 83. Welcome, bosses, to the Presentation Boss Podcast. Today, we're joined by a guest, and it's an Australian guest. Before we tell you a little bit more about him, though, a reminder that if you like today's content and episode, to join our online community, our Facebook group, Presentation Bosses, there's a link down below, or of course, you can just search for it on Facebook. A guest today, Chris, we've got a little bit of history with. He's based in Canberra in Australia, and when he came up to Brisbane uh, quite a few months ago now, he and I caught up. I really enjoyed chatting to him. He's also been a storyteller at one of our Life Out Loud storytelling shows. And both of us follow him on LinkedIn and really like what he has to um, share over there. Yeah, I always enjoy hearing from and reading Chris's stuff. It just makes sense. And I also super like him because he's an ex-pilot. Admittedly, he was in the Air Force. I was I was just civilian. But uh, it's just always nice to have common ground and understand each other's language. And as you'll hear in the episode, there's a few aviation metaphors and analogies that we do use. That I mostly do not understand. So if you're with me... <laughs> That's also okay. (laughs) All right, Kate, should we take off into the episode? Oh, wow, it's going to be like this, is it? (laughs) Look, why don't you tell us a little bit more about Chris Hewitt? All right. Chris Hewitt is a communications coach with over 30 years experience in public and private sector leadership and technical and creative communication. He draws on practical knowledge and the latest research to help leaders speak more effectively. He believes that everyone can be confident speaking in front of an audience. We can all improve the way we connect with other people and get our messages heard. Chris has led a fighter jet squadron, negotiated billion-dollar contracts, and performed his poetry on stages around the world. As well as being a fighter pilot, successful consultant, and business development manager, he is an award-winning spoken word artist and two-time TEDx presenter. Chris's unique combination of experience with technical, business, and creative communication has taught him the power of words in all their forms to inform, excite, and persuade others. Welcome, Chris, to the Presentation Boss podcast. Thank you very much, Kate. I'm very thrilled, actually, to be invited. And I I am actually a very uh, religious follower of of your podcast, so it's it's a pleasure to be here. Oh, that's so nice. Thank you. (laughs) Um, So, Chris, we have heard your official bio, which is very cool. Um, Can you tell us, though, what are you passionate about when you're not at work? I should have prepared for this question because you ask everybody this question. (laughs) (laughs) We do. Uh, One thing I love doing is dancing. I've only done it for maybe five, five, six years. I wish I'd started dancing when I was younger. Um, But I I do swing dancing and I also dance to, to blues music. And uh, this year has been hard because we haven't been able to do a lot of that actual sort of um, body contact sort of um, yeah. activity. So uh, uh, that's, that's been hard for this year. But that's, that's something that I love doing um, outside my work life. But it also actually helps because uh, it, it's taught me more about my body, feel more, you know, whole, not just my brain. Yeah. I'm just carrying my brain, my mouth from one place to another. Um, now actually feeling more in my body and that helps when I'm, I'm on stage and and also with breathing and, and movement and, and expression all of those sorts of things right I um when did you start dancing I would never would have guessed that um so about yeah about six years ago yeah 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 right my parents were dancers um that's how they met so oh right yes yeah, <laughs> always love to always like to hear about dancing <laughs> 
Um, so then, Chris, tell us about your work now. You work, uh, your consulting business is Understood Consulting. So who do you help now and how did you get involved in that? I, uh, the work that I do is with leaders and organisations to improve their performance by being better communicators. I focus on interpersonal communication. So I coach individuals and teams. I consult on how to structure an organisation and set up processes so that face-to-face -face and, and interpersonal communication happens better. And I provide training. So I train people in, in communication skills, everything from having face-to-face -face, uh, interviews through meetings up to presentation skills similar to, to you, um, but not to the same depth that, uh, that you do it, I have to say. Uh, I got to this position a, a few years ago. I, I was reviewing my CV as you do. Uh, I was working for a big defense company at the time. And I realized that all of the work that I had done uh, was involved with communicating. And that was the part that I loved. So I was an instructor and pilot in the Air Force and an officer. So a lot of communication and helping people learn new skills was part of that, that work. Then I worked in consulting and in this defense company doing business development. Uh, so understanding a customer's problems and pitching ideas. And I also write and perform poetry on stage. And I've been doing that for a bit over 10 years. And that creative expression is something that I've always loved doing. And I wanted to bring all of those forms of communication into the, the work that I do, uh, which I, I do now. And I'm really, really very lucky that uh, I've been able to do this now for three years with my own company. And uh, I'm making a difference sort of one person at a time in communication skills, which I, I think is, is helping the world because we can always communicate better, I think. Yeah, nearly always. It's always a, always a skill we should all be working on. I, I love the cross-section there of like the defence history, the business aspect, dance, poetry, like I just... It's very creative, isn't it? I think there's just a special place in my heart for people who do a wide variety of seemingly unrelated things. I just love that, Chris. <laughs> oh, thank you. Yeah. Um... A lot, I think you've, you probably work with a lot of people who say, oh, I'm not creative at all. Oh, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And uh, I've worked in quite technical areas. So, so obviously being a pilot in the Air Force and then a lot of the work I did was project management, program management, working with engineers, which is now why I do a lot of work with technical people, helping, helping them communicate because I've mm. spent a lot of my life translating engineers for other people. Uh, <laughs> But in that being heavily involved in that technical world, I, I was always reluctant to say that I'm creative because I'd always look at somebody else, um, you know, and musicians I admire or people who do graphic design and that kind of thing and go, oh, wow, how'd you come up with that? But I, I think we all have creativity in us and I think it's an essential part of being human. So yeah. I, I really love that I'm able to employ all of that in the work that I do right now. So good. I feel like creativity is almost understood in that way. You know, people say that they're not creative and, and you do imagine it as like, I can't draw a portrait of someone. You know, I can't do something amazingly artistic, but I think artistic and creative are two very different things, aren't they? Yes, yeah. You can be creative in so many so many different ways. And I, and I think all of us have that creativity inside us. It's just finding that way to express it. And it could be something like dance. It could be gardening, it could be cooking. Um, it's just expression of trying something different and, and putting together all of your different experiences and, and maybe a bit of a wild idea. You don't know where it came from and trying something different. And that's that's creativity. Mm. And like you said, it helps with your with your business and with your communication. 
Um, you, you've obviously learned to communicate in a vast array of situations in different ways. What do you see now as the most common problem that folks face when it comes to effective communication? I, I think that confidence is the one that's the most common problem that I, I get told when I ask people, uh, well, I, I tell people the work that I do and the most, I get two responses. One is my boss could really do with your help. Um, <laughs> yep. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And the other one, which is you have common is the other one that I always get is, oh, I hate public speaking. Mm. Yes. And uh, I, I think, this, I don't think that's the cause. I think there's a cause behind it. And the cause behind it is that people don't stop to think about their audience and how their communication can be a gift to their audience. So I, I think that's, the, that's the, the problem. So both with that person's boss probably doesn't think about their audience and may never, may never think about their audience. They may not, may not be able to help them because they don't realise that they're closed off to thinking about other people. And then at the other end of the spectrum, the person who's nervous doesn't realise that they've got a gift that they can give to other people. So they're thinking too much about what other people think of them rather than how they can give something to their audience. So that's, I think that's the key thing is considering your audience and, and what it is you can connect to in your audience, in your communication. Yeah, and I like that that aspect, of, yeah, that it's not about you, but um, we've often said, you know, it's not about you, but I really like that view on it, that it is a gift for your audience. So how, how then, because I've seen like your posts on LinkedIn and everything, you often talk about audience analysis. So I'm interested, how do you go about an audience analysis before a presentation or any sort of communication? It doesn't have to be that in depth. So yep. even just picturing your audience and remembering who it is you're going to meet with, remembering the last time you saw them, if you know them already, or trying to picture them in your mind, um, looking them up on LinkedIn, finding a little bit about them. All of those things go into the back of your, your mind, whether you're conscious about it or whether you do something structured or not. Uh, if, if I have the time or it's a big event, uh, I look at the audience in two different ways. One is who, why, and what. So who, who is the audience? What's their role? Where do they come from? Where do they live? Uh, why, what's their purpose? So why, why are they there? And what, what do they already know? What are the ways they speak? What are the stories that they tell? What are the things that you can connect to? So how, how can you connect to their why with things that they will recognize and understand? And the other one, I think you've, you use this model as well is the what do you want people to know, feel and do after you've spoken to them. So actually preparing in that sense, when, when we finish talking, what do I want the audience or even just the individual I'm speaking with, what do I want them to know? What do I want them to feel? And what do I want them to go and ultimately do? Yeah. Yeah, so that's the more formal thing for a larger presentation, like you said, but I've actually not heard just the simplicity of think about and picture your audience before you go and speak to them. There's a thing yeah, there's, um, sorry, Thomas, you go oh, I was going to say, you said in there, um, why are they there? And I think that speaks to this idea about like, what, what does your audience care about? How can I present, as you would say, this gift to them, right? Yeah, that, and that, that just that one change in mindset can be significantly change the attitude of people to, to their communication skills. That's one of the first things to talk about in a coaching program with somebody. And then they'll, they'll come to the second session and go, oh, wow, suddenly everything seems different because I just thought about the audience first. And it, and it can make a, a huge change. 
to send your energy outwards towards the audience, see what you're giving them rather than worrying about all the, the arrows that are coming back at you. So it's phenomenal that change, isn't it? When you give people that one little, uh, the first big step and how much how much that can change things. Like Yeah. Um, so Chris, we know that you're a poet, you're very interested in poetry. So what attracted you to poetry? And and again, how did you get into that area? Oh, I've, I've always written creatively and I've, I've got poems that I wrote when I was eight years old and things like that, which are terrible. I've got poems <laughs> that I wrote when I was 40 years old that are terrible, actually. So um, <laughs> Uh, so I've always I've always loved creative writing. I love reading. Uh, I love reading poetry. I love going to live events and uh, seeing performances uh, of poetry. There's a couple of different aspects to it. So poetry that's written on a page tends to be really worth revisiting, and it's and it sparks off lots of different ideas, and you come back to it later, and it, and it uh, grabs you emotionally, but gives you lots of different feelings. Poetry that's performed live often grabs you very quickly and takes you on a story. And uh, I love both of those aspects of, of poetry and the involvement of the emotions in conveying a, a particular scene or a moment in time. Uh, and I, I just love that. And I'm fortunate to have been reasonably good at, at writing and performing poetry not particularly good at writing it on a page, but I'm pretty good at doing it when I'm performing it. And that feeling you get when you create an emotion in somebody else's chest, when you're speaking and you can see that happening, it's an incredible, it's an incredible feeling. It's kind of like the heightened um, feeling of being human when you know that you're sharing an emotion at the same time. And it comes from telling stories as well as, as poetry, as, as well as just selling, saying an anecdote. Um, you know, the equivalent of saying I fell off my bike and scrapped my knee and suddenly everybody's knee is, is hurting. You, you can do that with anything. And, and it's, that, it's that connection that you get as human beings. I don't think I ever realised, it's probably quite ignorant of me, that there's a difference in poetry for the stage and poetry for the page. Because obviously there's a, there's a difference there with writing even prose or, um, you know, as we tend to do in informative content, like what I write for me to present is very different to what I would write for a LinkedIn article, like that comes with a very different voice. So it's interesting to me that it makes sense that there's a difference in poetry as well for the page and for the stage. And, and you say you specialise in that for, for poetry that you present, right? Yes. Yeah. And I have to say that poetry is a very, very broad thing. And this is just the way that I see it and my, and my definitions, yeah. uh, but uh, that's what we're here for. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I do. I really enjoy the, the, that feeling, that immediate feeling that you get when you're performing poetry on a stage, when you write something down, as you would have seen, um, sometimes you'll never know the response that people have to it, or it might be later mm. and someone will give you some feedback uh, or, or it's almost incidental. You know, you know, someone says, oh, actually, I read your article when you bump into them by, by chance and they give you some feedback and you go, oh, well, I'm really glad it connected with you. But when you're doing something on a stage, you can see that immediately. You can, yeah. um, you can have that feeling. I, I often, and I wouldn't recommend you doing this regularly for your, your formal public speaking events, but uh, the, the ability to make other people cry sometimes can be incredibly humanizing as well and, and that immediate feedback you get when people have that emotional reaction mm. I, I, that's the that's the bit that I love about performing on stage oh so, so, Chris, so Chris likes making people cry that's what we're <laughs> <laughs> so is that more about the careful selection of words or the delivery or both 
It's it's both. Yeah. Yeah. When I write a, a, a poem, I um, start off with the idea and the feeling in me that I'm trying to convey, but I will often edit it to when I'm within the thought in my mind about how it will be received if I do it on perform it on stage. So yeah. I am thinking about that. And when I do, uh, I say perform my poems because I do put emotion into what I'm saying and the way I'm saying. Um, it's often quite draining, actually, uh, mm. uh, afterwards, because sort of reliving those moments and uh, um, conveying how I felt at the time. But I, I have a poem about writing billy carts and, and I convey the emotion, the excitement and that sense of freedom from writing billy carts as well. It's not all making people cry, Thomas, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's that uh, sense of conveying the emotion. So definitely it's, it's the, the words and the way that they are presented on stage. There's an interesting thing you just said there, which was to um, think about the emotions from the time when, when it happened in the poem. Because I know we've heard previously as well about like not telling story, uh, not retelling stories, but reliving stories as well. That same thing about put yourself in that, that emotional state, the time and place in which it happened because um, that's kind of the only way that you're going to be able to inject that emotion into, uh, I mean, like you say, make your audience cry or laugh or, or feel the same in their chest, right? Yes. Yeah. You want to, as, as you say, you, you want to show your, your story rather than tell it. And mm. uh, particularly when you're using stories in a, in a speech or even in a work situation, those moments that are of the surprise or the sudden change or that's not what I was expecting you're trying to remember what it was like to feel before you felt that change because you want people to experience that same sort of shock or surprise or humour. You want them to experience the same thing. So you have to put yourself in the situation before you got to that point and then remember what it felt like when that happened and convey that in the way that you are saying, describing the situation, showing it, as you said. Yeah. Yeah, because everything is very different in hindsight, isn't it? So you have to really go back to before you knew something. And, and I know you, you do a lot of work with storytelling and, and work with, uh, well, no, Matthew Dix and, and his, his work, that holding on to ideas and, and emotions and things until you get to the right point in the story. You want the audience to follow the same journey that you had originally. And mm -hmm. that's really hard to do if you, if you don't practice it. But you do need to do that. You need to put aside, say, I know that I'm going to fall off my bike very soon, but I'm not, I don't know that yet. So, and try and convey that in the story so that when, you're, when you fall off your bike, you're just as surprised as everybody else in the audience. Yeah. Oh, that makes sense. So you talk, you talk about uh, it's, it's hard to do if you don't practice it. How do you suggest to people that they practice whatever it might be, this creative uh, speaking, be it poetry, storytelling, adding that into presentations? Well, I think the key is there is is practice. You just, you have to do it. It's it is. Mm. Uh, there are some tools that you can use, some tricks, some ideas. When you're writing down a story, you can you can look at it from that lens of of emotion. Where's the emotion in the story? Where was I surprised? And make sure that you don't let that secret out for the audience. Is there any other things they can hold behind? You can. Uh, so there are books you can read about that. But unless you actually go and practice telling stories or practice performing poetry or, or speaking, as you know, you, you have to do that. Your body can only embody a, a certain amount of cerebral sort of, of knowledge. Most of it has to be experiential. And so you just have to go out there and, and practice it as often as you can. Yeah. There's only so much theory you can absorb before you have to actually put it into practice. Hey? 
Yeah, when uh, I will use the example of learning how to fly. So yeah. learning, as Thomas, you would you would be familiar with this, but you do what we called in the Air Force ground school, but you would learn how the engine works and how the controls yeah. work and things like that. But it doesn't mean anything until you actually get in the aircraft and do it. And then yeah. suddenly your brain connects to your hands and, and to your heart as well. You, and you go, oh, yeah, okay, that makes sense now. Now that's what they were talking about. And you oh. have to do that. You have to do those things with your with your body before it makes sense in your head. Oh yeah, I remember so distinctly. I can remember um, the room I was sitting in in Redcliffe up here in Brisbane, and he was talking about a particular manoeuvre. It may have been crosswind landings, and he was talking about you need to put the opposite rudder in, right? Like as you would know, you put the opposite rudder in so that the nose remains straight down the runway. And I remember asking him, "How much rudder do you put in?" And he said, "You put in enough." And I was like, what does that mean? Like, what is it when you're in the air, you'll put in enough that it has the right effect. You've just, we've just got to go do it. And like, and that's terrifying when you've not done that sort of thing before, but there's like get in the aircraft and you've just got to see how it works. And like you say, it's the same with speaking or learning any skill, right? Yeah. And, and that's a really good uh, analogy too, because you get on, you get onto a stage and, and deliver your talk and you're telling your story. There is just the right amount of emotion to put in it. And you put in a little bit too much. And, and you'll uh, you'll put people offside. There's just too much. It's overpowering. And then if you put in not enough, then people don't really follow you along. So that it is the same thing. You, all of these things, you're just trying to put just the right amount, and you don't know until you actually try it in front of the audience, and you get that feedback. And try it a bunch of times too. Hmm. I told you, Kate. I told you there was analogies between flying. And- <laughs> <laughs> yes, fair enough. <laughs> Um, so, Chris, how can we start to think like a poet when we're communicating? Yeah, it's a, that's an excellent question. Uh, the, the things that I've learned and picked up from poetry mm. uh, is uh, it's actually really applicable to conveying complex technical topics. And I think that things you've spoken about as well. But if you read a, a poem, it doesn't just say this happened and this happened and this happened. It will do that showing. It just does that describing. So it uses concrete language so it it Mm -hmm. describes a scene and you get an emotional response to it from the description so a poem will never say uh, i'm in love with you a poem will say i I feel like i have no air in my body you know it that uses those sort of concrete ways that you can sense to try and convey abstract complex topics so when we we want to get across an idea or or talk about a scene or tell a story, then you want to use all of those senses. And uh, only on Tuesday, I was talking to, to, I was on a panel and we're talking about the senses and someone mentioned the five senses, but we have more than 20, it depends on who you ask, we have more than 20 senses. So if if you can make people feel hungry or make them remember what it's like to feel cold, Right. Okay. Or make them feel off balance, and you know, remember what it likes. It's like to feel off balance, and as well as what does something t- uh, feel like, and what does something sound like, and what does something look like. Get as many of those senses involved, and then people will be drawn into what it is you're talking about, and they're much more likely to remember it and understand it. So that's that's one of the keys of poetry. The other one is to remember that language is beautiful and the way that we use language can make a really big difference to the experience of the people we're speaking to. So to use all of the elements of poetry sparingly because you're not 
you're not standing up on the stage generally and, and reciting a poem, but if you can sparingly use rhyme or rhythm or alliteration, so all of the, the starting, the consonant sounds sound the same or assonance, so all of the verbs, sorry, the vowel sounds all sound the same. All, all of these different elements of, of poetry, you can use in certain key times and key phrases to help people remember them. And uh, you can almost sort of hypnotize people. If you use the way that you speak in a very deliberate way and are conscious of the, the, the way that your language flows and, and it has a certain rhythm, then that can actually people draw people into to what you're talking about. Hmm. That's something that I've not heard before. That's really interesting using that, all of those poetic techniques. Um, can I go back to a word that you said assonance, was it? That's a word that I've not heard before. You said all the vowels sound the same. Can you give me an example of what that actually means? Oh, I'm going to have to think of I think. Of <laughs> Sorry, <yeah. laughs> uh, it, it, it would be, think of one off the top of my head. I took my books to school. So it kind of has very similar oo sounds in it. That would be an example of assonance. Yeah. Okay, cool. Because alliteration is like Simon says silly sausages or something. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But that's the S, that's not the, the vowel. Okay, yep. Interesting. Um, assonance. I've learned a new word today. <laughs> Do you ever find there are any perils to uh, using these poetic techniques, i.e. are they ever distracting or perhaps too abstract for certain audiences? Yeah, one of the, one of the key parts of poetry and something that I love is the ambiguity. Okay. You can read a poem and, and 10 different people will have 12 different interpretations of what it actually means. And I think that's a beautiful thing. And it's often deliberate because someone will choose a certain word and it sparks different emotions in different people. So you, you want to avoid that part of poetry when you're, you're doing the speaking that we often are talking about. And you can get too flowery or too wrapped up in the sound techniques. And then that becomes distracting. So the definitely think of putting things into concrete language and, and, and touching the senses when you're trying to describe complex topics, but when you are using those poetic techniques, just sprinkle them lightly. Maybe just use yeah. them on that one key phrase that you end with that you want people to remember, that they go away from your talk saying, oh yeah, I can remember that phrase because That's it rhymes or it yeah. has a rhythm. There's actually been studies done and if you express the same idea in a rhyming sentence, then people are more likely to believe it is true. So Is that like an apple a day keeps the doctor away? Yes. It, people are more likely to believe that than eating fruit is healthy for you. Yeah, right. People are weird. <laughs> Good insights here on the presentation yeah. podcast. Because <laughs> it's interesting that you say, like, that's what you love is the ambiguity of poetry. That's what really, I think, niggles me about poetry and what I would be often hesitant to use it because the chance that there are multiple interpretations of it, I guess. Um, I'm not sure exactly where I'm going here, but I think I, I like that you recognize that the techniques can be used without making it ambiguous. I'm, I'm not entirely sure what I'm saying. I've got a very unformed thought here. I think the way I understand it is there's there's translatable tools, techniques and devices we can use, like, like sprinkle in some of that rhyme, some of the assonance, the new word, some of the um, alliteration, I think, to make those key points more memorable, right? Like that's how we would translate poetry, creative communication, I'll call it, into corporate presentations, right? Something like that. Yes, yeah. I, I would, if you're thinking, thinking about it, then I would 
I would not use as much uh, WB Yates. I'd use a little bit more Dr. Seuss. So okay. Dr. Seuss has that rhythm, has that rhyme. He makes up words, which a lot of poets do. So he, so Dr. Seuss uses a lot of poetic techniques, sometimes to convey some quite deep concepts, but he does it in a way that's really easy to remember and easy to read. So use a little bit of, of what Dr. Seuss does. Don't necessarily have to get all, all sort of uh, very deep and conceptual that some other poets do, the ones that you might think of first. Maybe if you don't enjoy poetry, you might immediately be thinking of those ones you had to study at school and you really didn't enjoy yeah. because you didn't understand it. it yeah. uh, or, or when the teacher says, can you see this? You'd go, I don't see that in those words at all. Mm. Don't get fixated on that. Think of how you can use some of the techniques that they've got there to make your talk more interesting, easier to listen to, more memorable. You've got your thinking yeah. face on. No, I'm, I think I'm having a bit of an understanding because I am someone who's not enjoyed poetry traditionally, but talking to Chris now, I can kind of see the merits of it and how you could actually use it really effectively. And, you know, like what you just said, like Dr. Zeus to me is a little bit childish, I guess, kind of he writes children's books, but then what you pointed out, like he, do, he actually does talk about some really deep concepts and you can actually use that and there's actually nothing wrong with using that. Yeah, I, I would I'd use one line of Dr. Seuss. In yeah. Not, not a whole, don't do your whole talk in Dr. Seuss language. But uh, yes, it would, we like things that are simple, easy to remember, bite-sized, even if it's related to a deep topic. If you can take that, you know, an, a quirky little phrase away, then that will help people connect with what it is you've been talking about. So, so the advice here is you're not going to give your quarterly report as like the budget just will not get on track, even if we give half the people the sack. Like we, maybe we'll just. <laughs> Good poetry. <laughs> Sorry. It's all right. Impromptu poetry is the hardest form of poetry. So. <laughs> oh. But there you go. You've, you've found your closing quote for the, uh, for the podcast yeah. after, after the end quotes, at the, uh, after the credits. So, yeah. <laughs> got, a, got a little bumper. Oh. <laughs> um, you talked uh, a long time ago about understanding your audience and who they are, why they're there, how they communicate and the language they use. So uh, maybe there's a conversation here about the discourse of an audience that you're presenting to. What are the decisions you make when you understand an audience as to how you choose the words or the communication style to present to them? The, the things that are, are important is thinking about the ways that they naturally speak and what they already know. So trying to connect the way you are conveying a topic with something that they, they already have inside them and do it in a way that they will understand. So telling, giving sports analogies to you two is, is probably not a great idea. Whereas to uh, another audience, it might be might be really suitable, but using Game of Thrones or or another kind of uh, example might be something that's more appropriate. So it's it's thinking about how you're going to convey the the topic that you have in in something that's interesting and understandable, and generally go to the the most common level across the audience. So you might have people who know the topic better than others but you'll make sure that everybody can understand what you're talking about yeah. uh, and putting it at, that, at that, that level of comprehension. So, for example, using very specific flying analogies. Definitely. <laughs> Definitely. 
<laughs> they probably his aircraft went a lot quicker than mine, but same principle i'm sure no i'm just teasing <laughs> um so chris up top he's talked about you also um talk to people about interpersonal communication as well as presentations what do you see is the difference there in how you communicate to a group versus interpersonal it feels different okay that's, that's the only difference it, it uh, i the principles are the same whether you're meeting with one person or you're meeting with a whole group of people right thinking about your audience preparing what you're going to say, thinking about how you can connect your message with the audience and finding that overlap, watching out for, for feedback, adjusting the way that you communicate as you get that feedback and, and listening, whether that's listening to a whole audience, listening with your eyes, so seeing how they're reacting or, or actually listening to what someone's saying to you in a conversation. They're all the same, they're all the same principles. I think the, the only difference would be more people you get in front of, you tend to be... Uh, want to appear more prepared and if all the conversation is yours then you will rehearse more yeah but it's the same content that you would convey in a conversation you just do it in a slightly different chopped up form rather than all in one rehearsed package i like that it just feels different as well mm. i have i have a strange question which is what's the uh what's the biggest lesson you learned in your aviation career that directly translated into your communication career? The only time that I came close to uh, losing my life when I was flying uh, happened in Canada. And uh, myself and my wingman, we were in our, each in our own aircraft and we're flying a low levels practice mission. So flying close to the ground, about 80 meters, about 900 kilometers an hour. And we usually fly close so close enough to see each other, which was one to two kilometers apart. We got split up, so we had to get back together again. And after the mission, I was debriefing, working out where we went. And this was in the 90s, so there was no GPS. There was Spice Girls and acid wash jeans. So we basically had our own memories. We had a, a, a tape that recorded what we said on the radio and what you could see out the front. And I'm running through this and working out what happened and where we went and how we got back together again. And, and I'm starting to feel really, really nervous. There's something wrong. You know, they get that feeling when your hair's standing up on the back of your neck. And I realised that when we got back together again, we'd spoken on the radio about where we were in relation to a point on the ground. We had assumed that we we're both talking about the same point, but we weren't. We were talking about two different points. And that meant that we flew about two to 300 metres apart past each other, which is one to two seconds at that speed. So we, we came within one or two seconds of colliding with each other and, and didn't realize it until afterwards. So I think the, the, the thing that I took away, the, the sharpest lesson was to be very clear in what you're saying and to always check with the other person. So always do that checking in. We spoke before about thinking about your audience before you speak. You can't just stop there. You need to continue checking in with your audience the whole way to confirm their understanding. That, and that's, that's the most marked lesson that I learned from being a pilot. Yeah, that is, that's terrifying. <laughs> um, was that really the only um, close call that you had? As far as I know, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. All right, well, <laughs> let's move towards the end of the episode. And Chris, what is a book or a resource that's influenced the way that you speak? Ah, uh, I should have also prepared for this question too. <laughs> you can do the uh, what everyone else does and just like, oh, hang on, I'll have to look at my bookshelf. And <laughs> um, 
this book here, which I'm holding up, is, is one that actually I've read recently, which makes a real difference to me. It's called Crucial Conversations. Uh, it's by four authors, Patterson, Grenny, Macmillan, and Switzler. Uh, it, the subtitle is Tools for Talking When Stakes Are High. And it's a really simple but powerful book in terms of thinking about when we come into particularly conversations, they call crucial conversations is where the stakes are high and the tensions are high as well. And when you come into those sorts of conversations, we often have experienced the same thing, but we've told ourselves a different story about what that means. And we need to be conscious of that is that we're bringing our own story into it, but we can't thrust that upon somebody else. There's a, a pool of shared knowledge that we have between us. So you put your contribution in and you have to let create the environment so the other person will put their contribution in. And then you can now talk about what is the differences in our stories and how can we resolve those. And that the metaphor of the, the pool of, of uh, shared understanding is really strong. So it depends on where you're standing. You look in, you see one reflection. If you go around the other side, the reflection is completely different. So uh, that's, that's a book that uh, I found incredibly powerful in terms of that interpersonal communication and, and particularly those high stress conversations that you can have. Yeah, I have heard of that book um, a long time ago, actually, when I was, uh, I think my boss was doing like a, a course or something that went with the book. Yes, yeah, um, I believe it. it's, a, it's a whole model. It's, it's something you can apply. Yeah, cool. yeah. Excellent. Thank you for that. And Chris, of course, uh, if people want to get in touch and follow you, I highly recommend following Chris. Um, he puts out some really great stuff. Uh, when can people find you? Well, that's on LinkedIn. I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. Yeah. So uh, that would be the place to find me. Uh, Chris Hewitt, H-U-E-T, unusual spelling. Also stands for Helicopter Underwater Escape Trainer, which makes a lot of Navy people and people who work on oil rigs very scared. Very scared. Um, <laughs> so that, that's how you spell my name anyway. Uh, ChrisHewitt.com is my speaker website and understood.net.au is my business consulting website. So please reach out to me, connect with me on, yeah. on LinkedIn and uh, my contact details are on LinkedIn and also on both of those websites. Awesome. Brilliant. Thank you very much. All right. Well, this has been a good fun conversation. Laughing about aeroplanes always uh, makes me a little bit extra excited. And um, thank you. Thank you, Chris Hewitt, for being on the Presentation Boss podcast. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Thanks, Thomas. Thanks, Kate. Thanks for listening to today's show. Head to presentationboss.com.au slash podcast, where you'll find the show notes for this episode, all other episodes and other free resources. If you know someone that you'd like to hear from on this show or think that you have something of value to share, email us at podcast at presentationboss.com.au. Most importantly, we rely on you to share the information in this podcast. If you found value in today's episode, please recommend us to a friend or we'd love for you to give us a review on iTunes. It helps more people find us. Have a great week. The budget just will not get on track, even if we give half the people the sack. Like we, maybe we'll just. <laughs>